Let's turn our Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. When you're there, say, I'm there. Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh, shall be overthrown. The title for this morning's message is Breaking Bad News. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are in great need of your mercy. Lord, you have given us a message to give to our neighbors and to the nations. We need your spirit that we may be faithful. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see why this message is so important. And for those who are here that do not believe in Jesus, Father, I pray that they would hear that this message is for them, just as much as it is for us. Lord, I pray that they would turn from their sin and turn wholeheartedly to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father. Do what only you can do by your spirit through your messenger. And I pray that Christ would be exalted in this place and through us, may his name be praised in all the earth. We thank you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think that I'm able to do this. Jasmine sank into her seat as she read the prognosis that came to her desk. The test results were undeniable. An aggressive life-threatening cancer. Reading the results wasn't the hard part for her. The hard part for her was that she, the doctor, had to give the results to the parents of her eight-year-old patient. How do you share news like this? Sharing something like this will alter the entire course of someone's life. Delivering a message like this will dramatically affect not only the family dynamic, but it may even affect the family's relationship to you. 
telling a family that their dear son might not make it through elementary school, that he might not graduate from high school or college, that he might not find a beautiful lady to marry and give them grandkids. How do you share news like this? As hard as it can be for a doctor to deliver bad news to her patients, we know that it's hard to deliver bad news ourselves, right? After all, we don't want to be the one to tell our girlfriend or our boyfriend that this relationship just isn't working out, and especially not around Valentine's Day, right? We don't want to be the coach who has to tell the scrawny, brick-laying kid that they're just not going to make the cut. We don't want to be the choir director that says to the tone-deaf lady that she just can't sing, It's hard to deliver bad news, and if it's hard to deliver that kind of bad news, imagine how hard it is to deliver the bad news of Scripture to our neighbors. Whole church movements and evangelism techniques uh, were built around avoiding sharing bad news. Listen to these so-called experts. People hear enough bad news already. That, no, that wasn't the part you were supposed to, amen. But, 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 but that's okay, that's okay. Pace yourself. You got to pace yourself with these things. Um, <laughs> people hear enough bad news already. Why don't you give them something to make them happy, right? Or, 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 or people hear enough about the wrath of God. Why don't we talk about the love of God? You, you know, it was the uh, Presbyterian Church USA, the PCUSA, that actually exemplifies this, uh, I would say, notoriously. Uh, they have a hymnal. They were updating their, their hymnal for their denomination. And they wanted to include the hymn, in Christ alone. Y'all know that one, right? How many of y'all have heard it? In Christ alone, my hope is found, right? Uh, we, we know that hymn. Uh, there's a line in the hymn that says, till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. It's a good line. Amen. They didn't want that line. So they went over to Keith Getty and Stuart Townend, and, and, and they said, hey, how about this? Uh, uh, how about we change the line to, till on, that cro- uh, uh, till on that cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. Keith and Stuart said, no. <laughs> no. Uh, that's, that's the point of the hymn, Right? The point of the hymn is that Jesus alone has satisfied the wrath of God, and therefore it is in Christ alone that our hope is found. But, but they, said, they said, no, we're not going to change the hymn for that, and because of that, you will not find that hymn in the PCUSA hymnal. It's not there. We don't like bad news. We don't like breaking bad news. But what would happen if we did share the bad news? What would happen? I I mean, sure, they, they could label you as one of those crazy fundamentalists. But could there be another result? What else could happen if we break the bad news to our neighbors? Well, Jonah was faced with that very situation God gave him a clear message to deliver to the people of Nineveh, the capital of the nation of Assyria. 
And as we heard Pastor Larry say a couple weeks ago, Jonah uh, apparently thought he had options with God. Uh, So he got on a boat. By the way, you don't need a boat to get from Israel to Assyria. It's in the Middle East. You cross the land to get there. But but, but he took a boat uh, to go to Tarshish which uh, many scholars say was around the region of Spain. That's kind of like if the Lord told you to take a message to the people of Raleigh and you take a plane and fly to the Cayman Islands. I mean, that's close, but there is a shorter way, right? More often, uh, more, more than likely, Jonah is getting away, as it says in chapter one, away from the presence of the Lord, away from the presence of the Lord. He wants nothing to do with this ministry. But our God is relentless. And when he wants a message to get to a people, he will get that message to that people. And so, as we saw last week, uh, the Lord caused a big fish to swallow up Jonah, as we heard Pastor Carson say, and, uh, and after the fish vomited Jonah back onto the shore, now we get to chapter three where God gives Jonah option or a, a chance to, all right? The second chance now to go. Look what he says, chapter three, verse one. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. It's almost verbatim what he said in chapter one, the first time that he commissioned Jonah. Go to Nineveh, get up, go over there, and call against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah, fresh out of the belly of the fish, he arose. God says, arise, Jonah arose in verse three. God says, go to Nineveh, Jonah goes to Nineveh in verse three. And notice, according to the word of the Lord. And it actually seems interesting because Jonah apparently didn't abide by the speed limit on his way either because it says, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. I would call that the Annie Locke uh, speed uh, there through Nineveh. Um, hi. Uh, you know, uh, the, you know. There, every once in a while, you know, we'll drive up to uh, Pennsylvania, which is her uh, hometown, her home state, and and as we're up there, you know, she'll say, you know, you just, you just, you know, I'll drive. You, you sit in the passenger seat. You rest. And all of that, there is no resting with that woman behind the, spe- behind the steering wheel. It is unreal. I mean, just, you know, and go speed racer, go. And, and, uh, but that's how Jonah is here with the ministry. Jonah, is, is, he's, he's got the opportunity to go, and this time he's not dragging his feet. He's not wasting any time. He goes out there, and he gives the message that God had told him to give. Notice I think that this teaches us something about uh, what happens when we break bad news to our neighbors. And it's this, when we break bad news to our neighbors, we obey God. We obey God. He's going according to the word of the Lord. He wastes no time to do exactly what the Lord has said. Notice, obeying uh, or uh, uh, the, the message, breaking this bad news, sending this message to our neighbors is not optional. God has given a command to us. He commanded you to share this message to your neighbors. 
okay? He is telling you to go. So if you do not go, you are disobeying God. Are are we tracking? If you don't go, you disobey God. And may I add to this, uh, God does not need you to censor him, all right? God did not ask for you to be his editor. God did not ask for you to be his PR specialist. When God tells you to go, you go. When God says, say this, you say that, all right? You do exactly what he says because just as the Lord has commissioned Jonah, so the Lord has commissioned each and every one of us who know Christ as our Savior, amen? So we go and we share the message, all right? Well, what's the message? What did Jonah uh, have to tell uh, the people of Nineveh? Well, it says there in verse 4, and he called out, and here's the message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Nineveh, this is your six-week notice. Nineveh, you who are the capital of the most barbaric, violent, and godless nations in world history, you will answer to the living God for the evils and the atrocities that you have committed. In six weeks, you will face his wrath. Now, what's the message that God has given for us to share? Do we have bad news? Yes. Yes, we do. What is that bad news? Well, this same God, the Holy One, has seen all that we have done, both individually and as a nation. He knows about your wickedness. He knows about your secret sins. He's commanded us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he's commanded us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And he knows just how far short we have fallen of that standard. Every failure to meet that standard, the Bible calls sin. And one day, every single one of us will stand before the Lord and we will have to give an answer for the sins that we have committed. Think about this. One sin makes us guilty before God. Do you remember when you were two? No, you don't. I don't either. But I project how I was as a two-year-old by looking at my kids when they were two. At least that's what my parents keep telling me. <laughs> um, every, every, with every move, and I call my mom or I call my dad, and they go, yep. No, okay, duly noted. That was me. You have the two-year-old. Now, don't touch that socket. And then you see them. It's always with like a, a steel spoon, you know, or a fork. No, I told you not to do that. And the kid does not fall on their faces and say, oh, forgive me, mother. Forgive me, for I have sinned before you and before heaven. What shall I do to be saved? You know, as they say it in King James, what shall I do to be saved? No, that's not them. They look at you and, 
right? Two. Two. How many of y'all are older than two? All right. We've accumulated a few sins, haven't we? If that sin would make a two-year-old guilty before God, what about the mountain of sins that we have accumulated over the decades of our lives? Every one of us is guilty before God. There are no exceptions. There is, left to ourselves, no way out. It is indisputable evidence. All of us will stand before the Lord and all of us will have to give an account for our lives. And left to ourselves, there is no defense. And the only uh, 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 plea that we can give before the Lord is guilty. And the sentence that every single one of us must serve is the punishment of the lake of fire for eternity. We call that hell. Now, you look at me and you say, Ron Jor, you're a young guy, to which I say, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, you're way too young to be believing such an old-fashioned doctrine like hell. I mean, what is wrong with you? Yeah. That's the stuff for Dante and Jonathan Edwards and all those guys way back when. We are so much more advanced and sophisticated today. We, 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 are, we are progressive. You know? We don't believe that, that primitive stuff anymore. To which I would say, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. You say, how, how could I say that? How, how could I say that? Well, Every time you hear news about the number of babies that are aborted in our country, every time you hear news about mass incarceration and unlawful and unjust prison sentences for, for, for small offenses, every time you hear about racial injustices, Every time you hear about the oppression of the poor, every time you hear about persecution of Christians all over the world, something bubbles up inside of you, doesn't it? Where you say, this is not right. Something has to be done for this. Someone's going to have to pay. And what do you do? You, you go in November, you go to the booth, and you vote to see that justice will be served. And guess what you do two years from now, the year after next? You go into the midterms and you vote again. And you go into the general again and you vote again two years later. And then you go back to the midterms and you vote again. And you vote for your mayors and you vote for your governors and you vote for all of these different things. And eventually you start to get the message that this isn't working. Right? It's not working. You know why? Because we need a higher seat. There is one who is perfectly righteous, who is perfectly just, who is not going to sit in the seat of power and think, what can I do to benefit me, but what can I do to make sure that justice and righteousness are executed in this land? That's the one you want. Guess what? His name is God. 
And he has already stated in his word that he will make sure that every sin is accounted for. He will make sure that every injustice will be made right. He makes sure that everything that is broken will be restored. This is the promise of our God. And he says that the justice that he will serve is an eternal punishment in hell. Now, we don't like that message. Even though we want that message. We don't like that message because if those people are going to hell, so am I. Because I am as much of a sinner as they are. Hmm. We have to be faithful to break the bad news to our neighbors. It may not be 40 days like it was for Nineveh. It may be more than 40. It may be less than 40. But we will all stand before the Holy One when our time has come. Well, how did the people of Nineveh respond to this message? (laughs) Well, you can imagine that a a group of people who are known for uh, such Uh, just disgusting things as collecting skulls of the people that they had massacred for souvenirs and trophies that they could parade all throughout the city, you can imagine that they probably would have responded negatively to a message like this. Well, to our surprise, we read verse 5. Look what he says. And the people of Nineveh believed God. If you're reading this in the Hebrew, it would say the people of Nineveh, check this out, amened God. That's the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word in there for believed is amen, which in our English word is translated amen. (laughs) We, we, We did nothing to that word. We just took it and said, ooh, that's a nice word, and just put it in English. We do that with a lot of words, by the way. We just steal words from every language possible. Uh, but that's what we did. Amen. You know, they amen God. They, they heard the message, and they took it in, and they said, oh my, this, this is true. We, we don't reject this message. We, we believe it. We are sinners. We have Uh, 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 offended the Holy One. We've got to do something about this. In fact, if you were to read this in the Hebrew, uh, uh, it it, it says in there that the men of Nineveh amened God, which I don't think is referring to their gender, like only the, the males in Nineveh believed God, but the females didn't. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think what, he, what, what the, the uh, narrator is emphasizing here is that this was an individual response to the message of God. So when uh, Jonah is going up and down the streets saying, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, the people individually got that message, absorbed it, took it and said, we need to do something about this. This is about as grassroots of a revival as you're going to see in the Bible. It's amazing. The people, the men of Nineveh believed God. Note their remorse here. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The fast, we're not eating anything. 
We, we, are, we are laying ourselves before the Lord, crying out for his mercy and for his uh, uh, forgiveness. Please, Lord, we don't want anything. We cannot eat anymore under this kind of weight. And they put on sackcloth. Think like potato sacks. They, they just kind of cut a hole in them and wore that. That was their way of, of showing publicly uh, the, the inward sorrow that they had. Sackcloth was itchy and uncomfortable and all that. And they said, we're not comfortable. We can't sit comfortably knowing that in six weeks, God's going to wipe us out. And so they, they, they showed that. Notice, from the greatest of them to the least of them. This wasn't just something for the poor and the homeless and the hungry and so on. This went all the way up to the elite. It went all the way up to the rich and the influential. Even they are here listening this message and saying, God is coming after us. Note, not only that, it also came to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, verse 6. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. Notice, here he is before the message, sitting in his royal robes, uh, uh, on his royal throne, basking in his glory and his pomp and his splendor. But as soon as that word makes it to his palace, off goes the robe, on comes sackcloth, off of the throne, onto a bed of ashes. This is an amazing move of God, which tells us something else about what could happen if we break bad news to our neighbors. If we break bad news to our neighbors, people could turn to God. Sinners could turn to God. They, they could hear the message and say, I am in a desperate state. I am hopeless and I am helpless and the only one that could save me is the judge who can destroy me. And they throw themselves to him for his mercy all the way up to the king. If I could just take a little side note here. And this may get me in trouble, but Pastor Larry's preaching next week. Um, could it be that all the problems that we talk about in our country and how America is going to hell in a handbasket and all these things that we say, could it be that part of the blame for that falls on us? Oh, we love pointing fingers, don't we? Ooh, you're going to get it. Ooh, all y'all going down, you know. I'm just going to go into my, you know, uh, 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 war safe bunker and I'm just going to wait until God nukes the country and all y'all are gone. Could it be that part of the reason is us? Jonah told the bad news to the people of Nineveh and it went all the way up to the king. What if we were honest about the bad news instead of trying to fit in, trying to blend in, try to go along to get along and all of this? What if, what if instead of trying to win friends and influence people, we were faithful in telling the truth? I, I, I'm not saying be a jerk about it. 
Um, I, we, we had a, uh, an evangelism conference at Southeastern called the Go Conference, and, uh, and Annie and I did a breakout talking about evangelism to our neighbors. And one of the things I said in there was that, uh, you know, we, we have this tendency uh, in the scriptures, uh, we, we see that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Uh, we have this tendency to be either grace or truth. <laughs> and so uh, uh, if, if, the sword, if the Bible is a sword of the spirit, we could either take that sword and make it a butter knife, be all grace and no truth, or we could take the sword and make it a machete and be all truth and no grace. And when we talk, tell the bad news to, uh, to our neighbors and so on, I'm not saying that you all of a sudden go into you know, straight you know, predator mode or anything like that, and you've got your machete and you're just hacking everybody. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. Ah! You know, no, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about. There's a gracious way to say this. And I believe that at the heart of that gracious way of saying it is recognizing that you are there too, or at least you were. So we can do this in a gracious way. But I wonder if with us, uh, if we're not part of the, of the problem because we don't want to tell the whole truth. How are people going to turn from their sin if you never show them that they're in sin? Someone's going to have to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Well, Notice, because they broke the bad news, uh, Jonah broke the bad news to the people of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh turned to God all the way up to the king. The king even changed legislation. He he even altered the laws. You see that there in verse 7. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, no food for anybody. Let them not feed or drink water, no water for anybody, but let the man and the beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. I think the them there is the men, not the beasts also. Um, Although maybe if the beast is sitting there with no food or no water, you know, he's probably calling out to God too. Notice up until this point, we have a whole lot of remorse, fasting, sackcloth, ashes, all of these things. But then he turns around and he says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Folks, when you have such a deep-seated sorrow for your sin that you turn away from your sin and turn wholeheartedly towards the Lord, we have a word for that. It's called repentance. The king has issued a decree for the whole land to repent. When you break the bad news, you provide an opportunity for sinners to turn from their sin toward God. Now, why would he say this? Why, why, why does he say this? Look at verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The king of Nineveh. Do you notice he says, may? He doesn't know. Jonah never told him anything about God. 
Jonah's message was, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Nineveh knows nothing about the God of Israel. The king of Nineveh is gambling here. He's saying, we're putting all our chips in. We're banking on the hope that maybe this God has some mercy in his heart that he could give to us so that he doesn't give us the anger and the wrath that we deserve. Maybe, maybe. Now, if you're me, you're starting to sway back and forth a little bit because I like this maybe. He, he doesn't know for sure if this is, if this is who God is or not. But, but we who know the scriptures, we who come here to North Wake week in, week out, we who go to life change and have our small groups and do our family devotions and all that, we know a little bit about God, don't we? And so for him, he's throwing a Hail Mary and going, maybe God will catch it. We don't know for sure. We're winging it. But those of us who know God know that's exactly the kind of God that he is. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Do you get what's going on here? Here are the Ninevites, this pagan, barbaric, violent people. When they turn to the Lord away from their sin, cry out to him and say, God, we need you to have mercy on us. God saw them, God heard them, God answered them. Let me tell you something. When we break the bad news to our neighbors, not only could sinners turn to God, but God could turn to sinners. This is the nature of our God. We know that. We're just saying God delights to show mercy. We know that this is the God who, uh, who, who is uh, um, uh, the God who says in Psalm 103, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has pity and compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For we, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. That's the God that we serve, right? This is the God who way back in Exodus, when he's on top of the mountain, Mount Sinai, giving the law to Moses, telling them, first command, you shall not have any other gods before me. Second command, you shall not make for yourselves any graven images. At the bottom of the mountain, the people of Israel are making a graven image so that they can worship it. And God could have, as he initially planned, wiped out all of Israel and started over with Moses. He said he was going to do that in chapter 32. But when Moses interceded and said, God, please don't do that. Think about your name among the nations. For your name's sake, don't do that. God says, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Moses, thinking he's got the hot hand, says, hey, Lord, could you show me your glory while you're at it? And, and, and the Lord says, no, 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 no. I cannot show you my glory and you live. 
But here's what I'll do. You go find a little uh, cleft in the rock, find a little cave in the rock. You go over there. I won't show you my face, but I'll show you my back. I can't show you all of my glory, but I'll show you some of my glory, enough that you can see and not die. So I want you to go over there. And he goes over there and he says, and I will proclaim my name to you. And God gives Moses his full name. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Guess what? That's his full name. You can call him Lord for short, but that's his full name. When John saw Jesus... In John chapter one, he said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only son from the father. He says, we saw Jesus and there was something about him that when we looked at him, we said, he has to be the son of God. What was it that you saw, John? We saw that he was full of grace and truth, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, Exodus 34, Full of grace and truth, John 1.14. It's the same thing going on there. He says, I saw Jesus, and when I saw Jesus, I saw what Moses saw on the mountain. This is the God we serve. A God who is very uh, 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 righteous and just and holy. A God who will not turn away uh, uh, from our sin. He must deal with it for the sake of his name. But this is also the God who is able to justify the ungodly. Now you say, wait a second. You just said that Nineveh was cleared. How is he righteous and just for that to happen? And how is he able, as Romans 4, 5, to justify the ungodly? You know, you're asking really good questions this morning. Let me tell you what happened. God sent Jesus for this purpose, that Jesus, by living a perfect, sinless, righteous life, the life that we failed to live, he lived for us. Every year, the people of Israel had to go and they had to give sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. It was insufficient to cover the sins of, of a whole human person, let alone the sins of all of humanity. There's no way to do that. Perfect justice would be that a human dies for the sins of a human. None of us are worthy to take on that burden for anybody else because we are just as much in need of salvation as anybody else is. Jesus came, lived his life perfectly and sinlessly and said, I am the only one qualified to be the perfect sacrifice for your sin. Jesus laid down his life on the cross. He suffered the punishment that we deserved. He took our unrighteousness and said, bring on the wrath of God. And we take his righteousness by God's grace and God looks at us and says, you are righteous. This is the mercy of our great God, the mercy of our God that he would look at us. And when we call out on him and say, Lord, I have no hope. Lord, I have no help. Lord, I need you. This is the God who says, I've been waiting for you to call on my name. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved because Jesus is who he says he is. God saw what they did. He turned from their evil way. He relented of the disaster that he said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Who are we to withhold that from people? 
Who are we to look at someone and say, you know what, I just don't think you deserve to hear all this. Oh, God forbid. You have the opportunity to give somebody the news that would change their eternities. So that means, of course, that we are going to have to share the bad news. <laughs> you know, Jasmine, uh, she had to break the bad news to her patient's family, and to hold it back would be medical malpractice. It would hurt the family deeply. But it might also be the beginning of the need for healing. They would not accept chemo for a child that has no problems. But if they knew that he had an aggressive form of cancer, they would do whatever it took to make him cancer-free. Likewise, we have to break the bad news to our neighbors. To hold it back would be the most unloving thing that we could do. It would keep them in their sin before the holy God, and it would keep them in the path to his wrath. But to tell them might be the beginning of the road to repentant faith. They wouldn't cry out for mercy if they didn't think they needed any. But if they knew how dire their situation is without the Lord, they might do whatever it took to be reconciled to him. Now, up until this time, I've been talking to those of us who know Christ and those of us that God has given this message to share to our neighbors and to the nations. But I'd be foolish to assume that everybody in this room is in that position. There are some of you that are here today who need to hear this message. You are not the ones uh, to send this message. You are the ones who need to receive this message. So let me be crystal clear to you. Right now, you are on a path to the wrath of God. Now, you say, Ron Jordan, no, 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 I'm not. This is the best that my life has ever been. I've got no problems, carefree, fancy-free. I'm, I'm living life. I'm living my best life. You know, but, but see, you don't understand. That's the problem. The problem is this is your best life. Because after this life, there's an eternity And left to yourself, there is no hope. You cannot stand before the holy God on your own. But our God is full of mercy, rich in mercy, abundant in love and kindness and faithfulness. And he said through Jesus, if you call on my name, you will be saved. If you turn away from your sin, trust Christ, then you will be forgiven of all of your sin. He will wipe the slate clean. He will remember your sins no more, and you will be reconciled to God forever. You've got to hear the bad news. You've got to hear the bad news but only because behind the bad news is such good news. And so I would be unloving to share the bad news 
and withhold from you the joy that comes from knowing just how good the good news is. Turn from your sin. Turn to Christ and experience the joy, the invincible joy of our great God. Let's pray.